take your bulletin out. Hopefully, in your bulletin, there is an outline. I will confess to you that in leaving town this last week, it was my mistake that I did not get my outline to Ms. Mallory on time, and I texted her this morning when I realized that, and she graciously came up early and printed them off. And I think we got them in all the bulletins before people started grabbing them. So if you were just here early this morning, uh, eager and chipper for worship, and you grabbed a bulletin before it got stuffed, sorry, the early bird does not always get the worm, and you just missed out. Put a quote up on the screen. This is from the Constitution of our country. It says, The President shall from time to time give to Congress information of the State of the Union and recommend to their consideration such measures as he shall judge necessary and expedient. We see that instruction played out every year, usually in January, depending on how the uh, calendar falls, but we see it played out in something called the State of the Union Address, and a joint session of Congress is convened, and uh, all of the major network stations and cable news stations stop what they're doing to show this, and the way it works is something like this. The room is packed with people. A guy walks into the back middle of the room, and he says, ladies and gentlemen, the President of the United States of America, and when he says that, everybody stands up, and they just clap, and they clap, and they clap, and they clap. In walks the president down the middle aisle of the House of Representatives and everybody's clapping and he shakes hands and waves at people and always interesting to me if you watch these on TV, there's people who really have something they want to share with him as if he's going to remember anything that they say to him right before he gives a State of the Union address. But they want to do that. They're talking to the president and everybody's clapping and he gets up to the front of the room and he stands up in the front of the room like this and everybody just claps and they clap and they clap and he stands there and just smiles and sort of soaks it all in and they clap, and they clap, and they clap. And finally, they sit down, and the president begins to speak. And usually, he gets about three words out till what happens. They start clapping, and they stand up. And they say something he likes, and so they stand up, and they clap, and then they sit down. And it just goes on and on, a little bit of talking and a whole lot of clapping throughout the whole speech. And it's interesting to me. I like watching the State of the Union Address. I like watching the newscasters who come on immediately when it's over because the first thing they usually say is, there was 25 minutes of speaking and there was 48 minutes of clapping. And they give you the breakdown on how much clapping there was. So, this morning is not the State of the Union Address, but the State of the Church Address. And I tried a couple of months ago to strike a compromise with the staff. Here was the compromise I put on the table. I said, I will give up all applause. You don't have to clap at all. I won't mosey down the middle aisle. Corey doesn't have to stand at the back and say, ladies and gentlemen, the pastor of Emmanuel Baptist. You don't have to stand up. We won't do any of that. When I get up here, you don't have to clap unless you really want to. Don't clap. You don't have to interrupt me. None of that. I won't expect any of it on one condition. One condition. For the invitation song, I want us to play Hail to the Chief. <laughs> I put that on, out there on the table, and that was roundly and soundly rejected. Absolutely not. So, the pressure is off you. No applause this morning. We will not, although it would be a new song for us, Tyler, New Song Sunday. We could sing a new song. We will not sing Hail to the Chief. What I want to do is essentially what the president does in the State of the Union Address. State of the Union Address is a time 
where the sitting president looks back over the last year and gets to say, here's some good things that happened in our country over the last year. And then at some point in the speech, he looks forward and he says, here's some exciting things that maybe are going to happen in the upcoming year in our country. And depending on your political persuasion and depending on who is in office, you enjoy or don't enjoy the State of the Union address. And you get excited about some of the plans, or maybe you don't get excited about some of the plans. But essentially, that's what I want to do this morning. Very unregular, very unusual for what we do on Sunday mornings. Most Sunday mornings, we're just going to crack the Bible open, dig straight in, and talk about what God's Word has to say to us. That will, that will be what we do 51 Sundays out of the year. I think it's helpful in a church like ours where we have different ages, we have different Sunday school classes, you look around the room and you may not ever talk with the person sitting next to you other than the five minutes before church on Sunday morning. You look across the aisle and you may not ever talk to the person sitting across the aisle for you. I think it's helpful for us to take just one Sunday at the beginning of the year and say, here's where we're at, here's some good things, here's some things we need to be aware of, and here's some things I hope that you get excited about in the upcoming year. And so uh, let's just begin with a few reflections on 2014. I don't know if you noticed, but 2014 was a busy year at our church. There was a lot of things that happened. You started off with a pastor search committee, and I'm here, and that's a non-refundable transaction. So you should have warned those guys up front. But I'm excited to be here. Brooke and I and our family have loved every minute that we have been here, and we're excited about what God is doing in our church. As an answered prayer uh, for my own life, First Baptist Kingfisher has called a new pastor, and his first Sunday is today. He is there, and he's preaching today, and uh, seems like an okay guy. Not quite as great as the last guy, but he seems, he seems like an okay guy, so I bet he'll do. And uh, we're excited for them, and I think that they're excited for Scott to begin his ministry there. But uh, we're here, and we had several other staff changes this year. Tyler Mintz uh, took over for us and uh, has been leading our worship. And I'm so grateful for Tyler and the job that he's done uh, in leading our worship team. I'm even more grateful for our worship team that makes him sound pretty darn good on most Sunday mornings. And so we're excited that Tyler is here working alongside us. Uh, we twisted Miss Terry's arm and convinced her to take over children's ministry. And I'll just be honest with you, as somebody who has kids spread all across our children's ministry and one more coming on the way, there's not anybody in our church that I would rather have overseeing children's ministry than Terry. She's done a great job and I'm excited about what she's been doing. Another addition is Mr. Chris Harrington, who has been leading our mission trips uh, for several years now, but Chris came on staff part-time as our uh, missions pastor, and he'll be organizing and leading our trips and already has two great trips lined up uh, this summer. I've told you this before, but I'll say it again. As somebody who's gone on lots of different mission trips and never had to plan any of them, always been at the mercy of the planner, I would really like to go with Chris as opposed to any of the other people I've gone with as far as details and planning and preparation, not just logistics, but spiritually uh, preparing you to go on a trip. And so we're excited for the, the staff additions. And you add in there, uh, Angie, you don't want anybody else keeping track of the pennies, I promise you that. Angie, you got Corey, uh, who does things like uh, when I call him on Saturday afternoon, meet me up here and scrape ice and uh, shovel snow and salt parking lots. I will say it was curious that when I showed up, you handed Tyler the shovel, and I had a shovel, and you went to go get ice, I mean salt. You just disappeared, and uh, there you go. But 
That's right, take one for the team. Uh, appreciate Corey. Appreciate Miss Chris and all she does with Mother's Day out. Uh, almost a week doesn't go by where Miss Chris doesn't bring a new family down to meet us in the office and just introduce us and invite them to come to church. Uh, Crystal and Mallory doing all kinds of things that I asked them to do, like coming up early on Sunday mornings to stuff bulletins that should have been stuffed the week before. They just do it. And they never look at me. Maybe they roll their eyes a little bit sometimes, but they never say, that's not my job. I'm not supposed to do that. And so I just want to say to you as a church, if you have any questions, you have a great group of people on staff here working and uh, serving. And it's our joy to work together and to serve you uh, and to be a part of this church. There's some other things I could talk about in the past year. We could talk about facilities. We could talk about the things that have changed around here. We've got a new playground that is not being used this morning, but has been used plenty over the last couple of weeks. Uh, that's been an exciting thing. We remodeled the children's area, painted the walls, new carpet, all sorts of stuff in the rooms in the preschool department. Uh, and then we did the big project in the sanctuary, a new AVL system with lights so that you can see my face. I know you are so excited that you can see me clearly now. And hopefully you can hear me and the band a little bit better. Will is shading his eyes. I assume that's a joke about a glare off my bald head. So there you go. Yeah. <laughs> Wild applause in the middle of the speech. There it is. There's some, there's some other great things that happened this year. We had a great trip to Kenya. Uh, a huge group of, of folks that went in two different shifts. Uh, it was a great trip. We had a great VBS uh, saw families plug into our church who were not plugged into our church uh, because of VBS. Celebrated our 75th anniversary. Got to see some old friends and old faces come back for that. So there's been a lot of good things uh, that have happened this year. It's been an exciting year at Emmanuel. Here's where I want to go with the rest of this, this talk this morning. A couple of months ago I sat down and I sort of tried to think through a SWOT analysis, S-W-O-T, SWOT analysis for our church, thinking about strengths and weaknesses and opportunities and threats, and just kind of tried to wrap my mind around, okay, I've been here a couple of months now, where are we at, where are we going, what do we need to work on, what do we do really well, and so I kind of sat down and thought through that and scribbled a bunch of notes on paper, and then I met with our staff, and I asked our staff to just talk to me, and I tried my best to just keep my mouth closed and listen to what they had to say on those same issues, strengths and weaknesses and opportunities and threats, and went in the office on our big whiteboard and filled it up two times with ideas and thoughts and discussions. And then I met with our elders a couple of weeks later, and we did the exact same thing. And so this morning is kind of all that we talked about, all that's been rolling around in my head, all that is on the heart of our staff and our leadership to just say, here's where we are and here's where we're going. Let me start with maybe not the most positive note, but let me just tell you some dangers for 2015. A couple of things that you need to be aware of uh, at Emmanuel. This is not an exhaustive list, but the first danger would be sin and Satan. You could say that that's two dangers, but I'm just going to lump them together this morning and say that's a danger for our church or for any church. If you have your Bible, I want you to take it out. We're going to look at a couple of verses. I'm not going to put these verses on the screen this morning, so if you, if you want to see them, you're going to flip around in your Bible or uh, surf around on your phone or your tablet. Romans 7, verse 21. It's a long discussion that Paul gives about a spiritual struggle in his own life. And just one verse, Romans 7, 21, he says, I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. 
If you read the chapter in context, he's not saying there's something out there lurking close by. He's saying there's something in here that is a problem. There is evil in my heart that even when I want to do what is right, I know that there's this conflict and there's this struggle within my own life spiritually to follow the Lord and to trust the Lord. Sin is a danger. Look at 1 Peter chapter 5, way in the back of the New Testament. 1 Peter 5, this is a verse that many of you probably have memorized. 1 Peter 5, 8 says this, Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Romans 7, 21 and 1 Peter 5, 8 are not going to change in 2015. In my heart and in your heart, there is still sin that is a danger. And there still is a devil roaring, seeking people to devour like a lion. Those things are not going to be any different this year than they were last year. It doesn't matter what kind of New Year's resolution you make, what kind of commitment you come into the new year with. You're going to struggle with those things this year. And I'm going to struggle with those things. And our church is going to struggle with those things. And that's a danger I just want you to be aware of. I just want to remind you of. I hope that that's not any news flash for you, but I just hope you understand and you realize it doesn't take much sin to ruin a good thing at a church. It doesn't take much sin in a staff member or an elder, or a deacon, a Sunday school teacher, or a person in the pew to give a church a black eye. You know that as well as I do. You read the papers, you know the stories. It doesn't take much. Be aware of that danger in 2015. Second danger is this, complacency. Complacency. Um, this was something on my mind, and I was glad to hear it come up quickly from both our staff and our elders. 2014 was an exciting year for our church. We did a lot of neat stuff and saw some neat things happen and made some, some positive changes and I think all of us stepped back at the end of the year and said, there's a danger that we roll into next year, maybe patting ourselves on the back a little too much. Maybe sort of leaning back and saying, ah, we've sort of got things in order. We sort of feel good about this. We've got that in place. Everything seems to be running smoothly. Let's just breathe a sigh of relief and just put it on autopilot a little bit. And the danger in that is that we forget that there is a war waging for the souls of people all around us every day. There can be no autopilot in the church. There can be no neutral in the church. One of the verses that came to mind when I thought about this danger is Philippians 2. Flip over in your Bible to Philippians 2. Paul wrote this letter to the church in Philippi, and I think it's safe to say that this was his favorite church. This is the only letter that Paul wrote to a church in the New Testament where he did not openly rebuke them. He wrote to the Corinthians and he said, quit doing this, quit doing this, quit doing this. He wrote to uh, the Ephesians and he tried to line them up. He wrote to the Colossians and he tried to line them up on certain things. But to the Philippians, he just wrote and he just said, I love you guys. Keep doing exactly what you're doing. You may think that Paul is telling the Philippians to just keep it on autopilot, but look what he says in Philippians 2, verse 12. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. 
Was God working in the church in Philippi? Paul thought he was. Did they still have a responsibility to work out their own salvation with fear and trembling, to press on, to not put it on autopilot? Paul says, look, don't put it on autopilot just because God is working in you. God is working in you. He is doing great things. Your job is to continue to work out your own salvation with fear and with trembling. Beware, Philippians, beware, Emmanuel, of the danger of complacency. One more danger is this. I'll do my best to make sense of this and what we talked about. The misplaced identity. That's always a danger for a church. I think that you know as well as I do, if you've been around church very long, that churches feel this strong pull, this strong tendency to be copycats. You know what I'm saying? We look around town, we look around the state, we look around the country, and we see a church or a ministry or a pastor, and things just seem to be going so well, and we get in our mind, we should just do what they're doing. We should just try to be exactly like that guy. Preachers, I'll be honest with you, we're the worst about it. We find a preacher we like, and then we just try to preach exactly like them. How ridiculous is that? Churches do the exact same thing. We look around and we say, man, it looks like things are going so we should do exactly what they're doing. You know what the problem with that is? We're not them. God doesn't want us to be them. He already has a them. He wants us to be us. And so there's this temptation we need to resist to try to be like some other church. Do you know what the flip side of that danger is? Flip side of that danger is we get so proud in who we are as a manual Baptist church and we let our identity rest on Emmanuel Baptist Church instead of letting it rest on Jesus Christ. And we get so dead set in this is how we do it in Emmanuel, this is who we are as Emmanuel, and we don't want to be like them. We want to be Emmanuel that maybe we're not open to God leading us in a new, different direction. I'm not suggesting he is in any way, shape, or form. I just want us to navigate these two dangers of misplaced identity. We don't want to try to copy some other church or be like some other church. We want to be us. But we don't want our identity to be found in us. We want our identity to be found in Christ. Here's a verse that explains what I'm thinking about. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Paul is writing to Corinth, and the church was a mess in Corinth. 2 Corinthians 5. And in verse 20, he says this, We are ambassadors for First Baptist Church Corinth. We are ambassadors for Emmanuel Baptist Odessa. We're ambassadors for Christ. Our identity is in Christ. Yes, your actions for good or bad have some impact or some influence on our church and our reputation, but you don't really represent us at the end of the day. You represent Jesus Christ. And our identity is found in Jesus, not in who we are as a church family or who we may want to be as a church family. So beware of the danger of misplaced identity. What about expectations? Three simple things you can count on and take to the bank in 2015 at Emmanuel Baptist Church. Number one, God's word will be our authority, period. The word of God will be our authority. 2 Timothy 3.16 is still true. God's word is profitable. It is useful. It is sufficient for teaching for reproving, for correcting, and for training in righteousness. 
God's word is sufficient for these things. Paul says in the very next verse that we may be equipped for every good work. Our final authority and our greatest need is for God's word. We're going to talk more about that in a minute. Second, we will worship in spirit and truth. We will worship in spirit and truth. John chapter 4, Jesus meets with the woman at the well. And in verse 23, he tells this woman who's spiritually all over the map, confused. He says, God is seeking people who will worship him in spirit with their hearts and in truth with their minds. Our goal when we meet in this room is that we worship engaging our hearts and engaging our minds. That's the goal. The goal is not entertainment. I promise you that. The band is not here to put on a concert. They're not. In fact, I was encouraged this morning as the band was working through some things. Should we play it this way? Should we play it that way? One of the band members just said, yeah, if we play it that way, that, that can confuse the congregation in their worship. And that's the heart of the worship team. They're not up here to impress you. They're not up here so you applaud for them. They're not up here so you give them a pat in the back. They're here to lead you and me in worshiping God in spirit and in truth. I promise you during the week, I don't try to dream up things that will make you laugh. If we laugh on a Sunday morning, great. If we don't, great. I'm not a comedian. I'm not racking my brain throughout the week trying to think, what will make them laugh? What will really get them giggling? What will, what will make them think I'm funny? I, I could care less if you think I'm funny. The band is not here to entertain you. What we do on Sunday mornings is not a show in any way, shape, or form is an attempt to lead you and to lead ourselves into worshiping God and doing it with hearts that are engaged and with minds that are engaged. So that's going to be a goal. In 2015, in every year going forward, we want to worship in spirit and in truth. One more goal is this. Our focus is making disciples. That's a certainty in 2015. We are here to make disciples. I think any pastor or church who tells you that they've got that figured out is nuts. I can't stand up here and say we have discovered the magical formula at Emmanuel Baptist Church for Odessa, Texas. This is how you make disciples. I can't tell you for certain how that happens, but I can tell you that's what we want to happen. And I can tell you that when we meet as a staff and elders and leadership, we sit around and we plan events and we plan ministries. This is the goal. Is it going to help people become closer to Jesus Christ? Is it going to help people grow in discipleship? Is it going to help them love Jesus more and know him better? We want people to be disciples of Jesus. What that means is we could care less about decisions. Could care less. At Emmanuel Baptist Church, we are not looking for people to make a decision about Jesus. Obviously, you need to make that decision. But what we're really looking for is disciples, people who follow, people who submit, people who learn. If the goal is decisions, we'll never end up there, ever. If the goal is disciples, I promise we'll see people make decisions along the way. But our goal for 2015, our goal for every year is to make disciples. A few dreams. Dreams for Emmanuel. These are things that I'm not saying will happen. I'm not saying I think they will happen. I'm just saying here's some things to think about. 
some things to pray about. One dream is this. We, we talked about this in both of our meetings, staff and elders, filling the sanctuary. I know we're here this morning on the tail end of Christmas break, and it's been cold, and the parking lot is icy. People are traveling or not traveling because of weather conditions, and you look around and you say, man, looks like there's a lot of empty seats in here. And this morning we have empty seats. I can tell you that there are a lot of Sundays where we don't have all that many empty seats. And if you think I'm crazy, come in at about 1045 when everyone's standing and try to find a seat on a regular Sunday. It's tricky. And those of us up on the platform, we watch these folks come in the back door and they sort of walk over this way a little while. No, I don't see anything. No, I don't see anything over here. And it's a challenge. Maybe in 2015 we come to the point where we have to make a decision. And I don't, I don't know if you've noticed, we've added a lot of seats in here. Over the last couple of months. Corey, that's one of the things Corey has not told me. Pastor, that's not in my job description. When I've said, Corey, let's go move some chairs into the sanctuary. We need an extra row. We need a back row. We need to squeeze the rows together and put some more in there. Some Sundays we're very close to being out of room. The traditional rule is 80%. When you're 80% full, it's too full. Guests who come in will feel like there is no place for them. And so we're not to that point yet. But it's foreseeable that we could get to that point. And so I just want you to have this in mind. Filling the sanctuary. Maybe that means you need to join some of the good folks upstairs in the balcony. Guests don't know we have a balcony. And quite frankly, they don't want to walk upstairs just to see if there's a seat in the balcony. So maybe before church, you say, we're just going to sit up in the balcony. You say, oh, but the sound is terrible up there. Uh -huh -huh. Not anymore. Look above you. I promise you it sounds exactly like it does on the floor. And so maybe you and your family say, hey, we're going to sit in the balcony to create some seats down here. I'll be honest with you. If I come into church, I'm sitting on the aisle. I am on the aisle. And maybe you say, we're going to move off the aisle into the middle so that somebody who comes in late can sit on the, on the aisle. Think about this. Be aware of this as we go into 2015 that this is a, a possibility. And quite honestly... Just to be straight with you, this is a good problem to have. To think about, we don't quite have enough seats sometimes. It's challenging to get people squeezed in everywhere we need them to be. So think about that. Second dream is this, starting new classes. And when I say new classes, I'm talking about children. Terry Everett brought this up. I'm talking about youth. Corey mentioned this in different contexts. And I'm talking about adults. When you have new people coming to your church... You can do one of two things. You can try to get them into existing classes, or you can start new classes. And I think our strategy is going to be, yes, we want to do both of those things, either of those things, all of those things. Let me just remind you of one truth. Sometimes if you've been in church for a long time, especially one church for a long time, you tend to forget this. It's hard to be the new person in an established class. It's hard to walk into a class where everybody knows everybody else and they're very friendly to each other, but they don't feel very much like your friend. That's a tricky thing. And so as we have more people coming to our church, listen, we don't want to be satisfied with people who just come and who leave. It's a great way to start getting plugged into our church. Come to the worship. Experience it. Listen to the preaching. Join in the singing. That's great. But we want to make disciples that won't just happen in 45 minutes in this room. It happens in small groups. It happens in community. And so we need people to find their way into a group. That means you may see new faces in your class 
and you need to be overly friendly, more friendly than you think you ought to be, or that means as a church we need to think about starting some new classes. Off the top of my head, I would like to see us in the coming months start three to five new classes all across our age spectrum on Sunday morning. So think about that, dream about that. One last thought is this, targeting college students. Just something to think about, something to dream about. We have college students at our church. In fact, we have some phenomenal college students at our church right now. College students who are involved in serving and going on mission trips and helping and doing all kinds of things. We have a college Sunday school class. We have a great class. I got to teach that class uh, over the summer when we first moved here. So we have a place for them. But our current strategy for reaching college students basically amounts to let's open the door Sunday morning and hope they show up. And some of them have shown up. And that's a great thing. But I just want you to think about the fact that we as a church sit right between two colleges. One on that side and one on that side. And I think as a church family, we have a greater responsibility, if for no other reason than where we are geographically located, to say we need to be proactive in thinking about reaching these students. Just the build it, they will come, open the doors, they will come. Let's take it one step further. And you say, what's he talking about? He's, I don't know what I'm talking about. I'm just saying with two schools the size of the two that we have in this town on either side of us, let's think about it. What would it look like for Emmanuel Baptist Church not just to have a place for college students, but to target college students during their time here in Odessa? Maybe they leave. Maybe they don't tithe. Maybe they don't serve. But maybe they do all of those things. Maybe they stay. Maybe they become invested in our church and they have kids in our church. Maybe they go to another church and they use what we've poured into them for the good of that church. Dream about this. Think about this and pray about this. Here's some challenges. This is from me to you. This is from me to you as a church. This is from me to you as an individual. Three challenges for the next year. The first challenge is this. Read the Bible more this year than you did last year. I'm not going to give you the blanket challenge and say, let's all read through the Bible together in a year. I'm not going to do that. You're going to get to spring break, and you're going to be four months already past your goal. Ah, I blew it. What I'm saying to you is, in 2015, read the Bible more than you did last year. As a staff and as elders, one of the things we've started doing is studying together. We pick books, and we read these books, and we discuss the books, how they impact us, uh, how they impact our church, our ministry. We read a book by a guy named Jerry Bridges called The Pursuit of Holiness. And in this book, he says over and over and over again, if you want to grow in holiness, you've got to read God's Word. You've got to read it. 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 You say, well, how much? I'm not telling you how much. I'm just saying, how about the goal of reading it more this year than you did last year? Maybe for you, that means you read through the Bible twice this year. I saw a tweet the other night that said if the average adult in the United States gave up all of their media time, Facebook, Twitter, social media, television, computer, iPad, if you gave up all of that and replaced it with Bible reading, you'd read the entire Bible in four weeks easy. You can make it. Maybe you don't want to bite off the entire Bible. Read the New Testament in a year. Easy. 
Read the Old Testament in a year. Read the book of Psalms or the book of Proverbs every day. Make that your commitment. Pick a book like the book of Romans and say, I'm just going to read Romans, and when I get to the end, I'm going to go back to chapter 1, verse 1, and I'm going to read it again. When I get to the end, I'm going to go back to chapter 1, verse 1. I'm going to read it as many times this year as I possibly can. I don't care what your specific goal is, but what I'm saying to you is you need a goal. If you don't have a plan, if you don't have a goal, you're not going to get there. So just say, this year I want to read God's word more than I did in 2014. Second challenge is this. Find a place to serve at Emmanuel. Find a place to serve. There's so many of you who serve in so many ways. And my fear in throwing this challenge out there is that the people who are doing 100 things already get a guilt trip and say, oh, the pastor said I'm not doing enough. I don't want you to do everything. I just want all of you to do something. Find a place to serve at our church. Maybe you could help with the funeral mills. Uh, when we have a, a, a church member who loses a loved one, one thing our church does is we offer to cook for the family. You don't have to cook for the whole family. You just bring a casserole, bring a dessert, bring a salad. Maybe you could help in that way. Maybe you could be a greeter on Sunday mornings. We have some faithful, faithful people who come early. Not real early, but 10, 15 minutes early on Sunday mornings. And they man their post and they're there to shake hands and to welcome people when they walk in the doors. We need more people to do that. I'll be honest with you, we have more doors than people. And so we need people who will come and make a commitment to be here and to serve in that way. If you like kids, I promise you Terry Everett will put you to work this afternoon. She's got something for you to do in some corner of the ministry. Be involved in children's ministry. Maybe you say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get into a small group, a Sunday school class, and I'm going to be the social coordinator. I'm going to get everybody together. I'm going to plan parties. I'm going to plan events. I'm going to get folks together for fellowship. That's going to be my job so the teacher doesn't have to worry about it. Listen, dream something up. I don't care what you do, but find something to do at Emmanuel. Find some place of service to use the gifts and the talents that God has given you for the good of our church. Last challenge is this, number three. Plug into missions, and here's how you do it by giving and going. Not and or going, and going. Plug into missions by giving and going. And when I say that and going, some of you just start to get uneasy. What is he asking me to do? I don't know if I'm up for it. I don't know if I can do it. Listen, there are lots of local missions opportunities in our own town that you can be a part of. That's going. Going for you might be going across the street, not necessarily around the world. But find some way to be involved in evangelism, in missions, in outreach with our church and through our church. Go across the street, across the country, around the world. Be involved in that. Chris would love to sit down with you and say, here's an opportunity. Here's a need. Here's a place that you can plug in and be a part of what God is doing in Odessa, in Texas, in the United States even to the ends of the earth. We would love for you to be involved in going. I also want you to make the commitment this year to give, to be involved in giving. I hit up Angie this morning. Again, she was not on the clock, but she did not complain. I said, Angie, I've been gone all week. I need to know how much we gave to missions this year. 
This last week, I, I had the number from the previous week, but I don't know the last week added in. I need to know how much did we give in our missions offering, world missions offering, not counting all that you give to Kenya, not counting Operation Christmas Child, not counting Christmas in Action, all the local things and other things we do, but what did we give in our actual missions offering? The offering that goes 100% to send missionaries, what do we give? She told me this morning the total was just over $25,000. That's more than we've given in a long time as a church family. That's an awesome amount of money that gets split up and gets sent to send missionaries all over the world. I'm grateful for those of you who gave. Here's a goal I want us to pray about. Maybe not going to happen this year, maybe not going to happen in two years, maybe it's five, ten years down the road, but I think it can happen. I think our church ought to give enough to the world missions offering that we support a missionary family overseas for one year. I think that's a reasonable goal for our church to set and meet. I promise you we can do it. No problem. You say, well, how much is it? Well, for a, a family to go serve with the International Mission Board overseas for one year, food, housing, medical expenses, kids going to school, uh, rent on the, on the house or the apartment, all of it together, it's about $55,000 right now. And 90% of our world missions offering goes towards that type of missions, international missions. That means our Christmas missions offering would need to be in the ballpark of around $60,000. I promise you we can do that. I promise you. Here's the, the catch. Here's the thing. I know if my family is going to give sacrificially to reach a goal like that, we have to start planning in January, not December. Does that make sense? If my family rolls into December and says, well, what do we got left over? We're not going to reach that goal. And so my family tries every year to be intentional in January and saying, what do we want to give at the end of the year? And what do we need to do now to make that kind of gift happen? And so I'm challenging you to be involved in missions. These two things are not an either or. They're not one is more important than the other. One is more spiritual than the other. One, one makes you a better Christian than the other one. They're both necessary. Be involved in missions. Be involved by giving and be involved by going. 2014 was a great year at our church. It was an exciting year. There was a lot of changes at our church in 2014. I am certainly not standing in front of you uh, claiming to have the ability to predict the future, to know what is going to happen in 2015. I'm smart enough to know that the Bible says your life is a mist, it's a vapor. And James warns us about saying, this is what's going to happen, or that's what's going to happen, or we're going to go here, or we're going to go there. He says, be very careful about that, because you don't know what's going to happen. But these are some things I think you can be excited about. These are some things I hope you'll be praying about, and I hope that these are a few challenges that you'll embrace in the upcoming year. Let me pray for you, and then we're going to sing a little bit more. Lord, we love you. What a blessing it is to be part of a church family. To have people that we meet with who care about us, who pray for us and who pray with us. To have talented people who can play music and sing songs and teach Sunday school lessons and work with our kids and plan mission trips. Father, we are grateful for the ways that you have blessed this church with servants and with people who are gifted and talented. 
Father, we're excited about the things that you're doing in our church. We want to see people come to know Jesus Christ and we want them to grow as disciples of Jesus. Father, we want to be a church that is committed to your word. A church that is committed to worship. A church that is committed to missions. Father, as we say that to you, we agree with Paul that there is something close at hand even when we want to do the right thing. Father, there is sin in our hearts that pulls us in a million different directions. It tells us a million different lies. Father, we believe that we have an enemy roaring around seeking to devour Christians and families and churches. And so we want to be aware of the things that that can trip us up, the things that can bring dishonor to your name. And Father, as we're aware of those things, help us to fix our eyes on you and to follow you. Father, what a privilege to call you, Father, and to talk to you in prayer and to sing our praise to you. Be honored this morning as we continue in worship. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.